a lot of the real coaching goes on just sitting in your boss's office, having a chat and talking about the business in general and learning kind of how they view it. And I think that loss is something that's going to really make people uh, less able to succeed long-term or succeed as quickly. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. We're recording this on Monday, June 26, and my audio, or if you're watching online, my video quality may not be as high fidelity as normal, and that's because I'm nearing the end of a family vacation. We're in this lovely Airbnb this week here in London, but it's also directly under the flight path of Heathrow Airport, which is not something they tell you in the Airbnb listings. So on the bright side, though, for me anyway, the high today here in London was 73 degrees. Uh, which is much better than the 106 that they're expecting today in Fort Worth. But it's the last week of June, and so it's time to look at recent HR news trends. And joining me from what must be a very swampy Houston, Texas, is my friend and mentor, Diane Gallo. Diane's had a long career as a human resources executive, most recently as Senior Vice President of Human Resources for McKesson Specialty Health. Now she consults with employers around strategic HR and business issues and occasionally indulges me on this podcast. Welcome back to Good Morning HR, Diane. Hey, Mike. Nice to see you again. So, And I'm jealous of your weather. Oh, it's, 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 it's been amazing. Uh, Norway was even cooler, so it's, uh, oh, nice. I'm not ready to come back to Texas in July, but, but we'll do it. But uh, well, it was funny because... I was with a bunch of uh, Norwegians um, and one of at, in a sauna, and it was about 185 Fahrenheit in the sauna. And they do this; they jump in this ice cold water every morning, and then get in mm-hmm. the sauna for about an hour. And I was doing that with them because why not? And uh, one of them said, "How do you survive the Texas summer?" And I said right back, "How do you survive the Norwegian winter?" <laughs> and she said. Well, that's a good point. And so it's just what I guess we're used to, but I'm going to have to take some time to get reacclimated. So let's start this week with uh, there's been a lot of conversation uh, around employers need for soft skills from employees. There was a Wall Street Journal article called New Grads Have No Idea How to Behave in the Office. (laughs) And um, and I think that probably overstates it a little bit. And uh, but we love to generalize about uh, generations. But these companies are even offering training about dining etiquette and what a dress code means and things like that to recent graduates uh, when they onboard them. And I'm involved with Fort Worth Chambers workforce development uh, programs, and we do a lot of surveys with employers. And for the last several years. Well above most of the technical skills gaps that employers are identifying, it's soft skills, interpersonal skills, human skills. And I I think calling them soft skills understates it because I think it's probably easier to give people technical skills than it is 
these interpersonal or human skills. So what do you make of that? Do you think, you know, you and I worked together almost 30 years ago and, uh, and you uh, don't have the road mileage, but you've been in HR longer than I have. So uh, what do you, is that something that we've always had a deficit in or is it, you think it's something unique to COVID? What do you say? There's always been a gap, Mike, between getting out of school and going into the workplace. Okay, but I think what's missing is the two years that people were behind the camera rather than in school. They miss things like the um, the career placement office, the mock interviews, the uh, interviewers actually coming to the school and having to dress up and go there. So all those things that were things that kind of prepared people to think about what it looks like to work at a bank versus what it looks like to work at a hospitality company, those things were not happening. And what we've developed is a lot of people that are very singularly focused on their, their computer screen and don't have a lot of ability to converse in the real world. And beyond that, this, what you called soft skills, I'll go back to social skills, are missing. Um, the idea of how you function in a business environment as well as a business social environment, which everyone has an opportunity to function as well, is, is missing right now. I don't think that's ageist because I would say anybody coming out of school, regardless right. of their age, ha- missed that two years. So. And I think that's definitely true. I mean, I had a, you know, I had a senior or, I, or my, my oldest son was uh, studying engineering at the University of Texas during COVID. And he spent, you know, basically three semesters doing all of his work remote, which means I'm not sure I ever want to fly on an airplane that my son <laughs> de- uh, <laughs> designs. Just uh, I'm not sure that doing your labs and in your apartment were a great idea. But I'm even hearing from employers uh, that their own employees, their longer term employees, uh, you know, middle aged and older, are having a harder time dealing with people like like they've regressed over COVID. Yeah, I, I think we got sloppy. I think during COVID, we didn't have the same rules, the same structure. And I think we're taking that back to the office in some cases or remaining at home in others. But I think we, we did get sloppy. I can't tell you how many um, Zoom meetings I've gone to where people have been dressed like they're ready to go out the door and play baseball um, with a hat on. Or uh, or the, I've had one bathrobe, which I think was terribly inappropriate. Um, but, you know, people have just gotten very relaxed about how they interact in the workplace because the workplace could be their bedroom or their kitchen. Right. And that's changed. Yeah. And I think st- trying to set a mindset of, okay, mm-hmm. I'm sitting down in this space, whatever this space is, and this is work and this is the office. I think that helps uh, some folks, um, but um, you know, when you know you're you're in your pajama bottoms, and so you're just wearing you know the remote work tuxedo with a you know a shirt on top and uh, you know and whatever you know flip flops and everything else below, if anything, uh, I think that makes it harder for for people. You know, it goes back to the old every you know the the authors who used to say they wrote every day, but they would get up every day, clean up shave, mm-hmm. fix them, you know, and do mm-hmm. all of that uh, so that they would feel like they were actually going to work. And I think a lot of us haven't picked that up yet. And when I was researching some of this online, there was a lot of pushback. And I think it was a lot of it from younger employees that, you know, that 
what we're trying, you know, by trying to make people have soft skills or a certain level of professionalism, those kinds of things, that we're trying to reinstill grind culture, that idea that, you know, but, and I'm not, you know, I've certainly never been an advocate for grind culture or that idea Mm -hmm. that, you know, uh, but there are people uh, like, you know, Dr. Scott Galloway and others like that who really push that in your 20s and 30s is when you should be grinding, where, where you should be working those crazy long hours and doing all those things. Uh, maybe if you're an investment bank, you know, a white shoe investment bank firm in, in, on Wall Street, maybe that's what you've got to do. But I think most people, most employers aren't expecting that from their employees, but they want them to be able to talk to people and look them in the eye and, you know, give somebody a firm handshake. And uh, I think that's what's really, you know, problematic for employers is when people can't do that. Mike, I think one of the things for HR professionals is your onboarding needs to change. It needs to be more remedial on the front end. You have to really start from scratch and start from this is how we dress. This is how we speak to people. This is how we call a meeting. All those things that you would think would be inherent to somebody walking into a business aren't there necessarily. And people that have been offsite possibly their whole career, even if they've got two or three years in the workplace, they may have never been in an office at this point. So I think it's critical to look at your onboarding and and beyond your normal onboarding with your company culture and everything you want them to be, start before that and start with kind of a, um, we used to call it adulting, um, although that is a little bit, uh, a little bit negative, um, more of a a remedial indoctrination to a business, to the workplace. I think that helps because you set a tone early and then you can help people through moving through the organization swiftly. There's the opportunity for people to cause misinterpretations on their skills and their abilities based on those social skills. Looking people in the eye is a big one. Uh, um, Being able to respectfully call a meeting um, and not order people around, you know, the, what's the protocol for email? Is this an email company or a phone company? Some companies are still fo- are phone oriented and talk oriented. Others are, are emails. Some are text. If you're not a texter and it's a text company, you're going to lose out. So those are the kinds of things you want to get up front in your onboarding, regardless of the person's age, because they may not have been in an office in quite some time. Yeah. And I think that that idea, you know, certainly with my own kids, I can't even get, you know, don't, they won't answer unless they need, mm-hmm. unless, they, unless they know I'm returning a call asking for money, they won't even answer the call. You know, they'll, they'll text me back, what's up? Uh, and so that might be a, a parenting failure on my part, but I, I, I hear, uh, and of course my employees are on the phone all day. Uh, and so that's, you know, something we watch for carefully, but I hear from employers that they have employees who, or almost have a, you know, younger employees, especially who almost have a fear that, that picking up the phone and calling someone yeah. is rude or that they're going to be taken a certain way. Mm-hmm, that you're interrupting them. Whereas a text you can deal with on your own time. And, and I think that that's part of how they've dealt with their, their peers or students. I'm, I'm finding a lot of the workplace is very text oriented now and uh, not so much email or phone. Um, although some companies still have conference calls and things like that. Um, those are intimidating and very different if you have no context of what that's what's that's like. You know, some of this, I mean, we hear about a lot about behavioral styles and there are people who are introverts and extroverts. And, you know, I'm certainly an extrovert. People give me energy and 
you know, it's, it's, it's uh, COVID almost killed me being locked away, <laughs> but there are a lot, you know, most of my employees, I think are the exact opposite and uh, loved uh, not having to, you know, interface with people each day. How much of that can you really train in somebody, especially after they've had, you know, they've had a taste of what it like, it's like not to have to be able to do that. I don't think you don't know that unless you set the tone and let people know what you expect. I mean, I'm an introvert and frankly, I could be behind my computer and happy all day, but my work requires that I am out there and talking to people and basically demonstrating skills that are not introverted skills. So I think you can train any of those kinds of things, but you need to work, um, make people understand that it is a requirement. And I don't think you, most people don't think you have to say it is a requirement that you inter interact with people, right? When was the last job you, uh, you looked at a job description and it said, interact with your coworkers on a social basis. Yeah, it, it's not there. So I think that's part of it. Yeah, there's not a bullet point on most job descriptions no. that says be, be sweet and lovable, right? right. No, I don't think yeah, that's lovable a, and sweet, just at least polite yeah. and courteous and talk. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, and the in 2022, the uh, soft skills training market, according to uh, a firm that does nothing but figure out how to, where to put invest money, was $20 billion, And they said in the next five years, it's going to be $30 billion just in the U.S. on training people for soft skills. I'm in the wrong business. I can see that. But do you think that's something that employers should be like trying to do it, like you said, internally through their onboarding stuff? Or do you think that's something we may see a real market for like coach, you know, individual coaches yeah. or lower level employees? I mean, certainly we've used executive coaches where we got an engineer. My friend John Sawada is an amazing, amazing coach who, and psychologist who works with these emerging engineers who they're ready to take them to the next level of management, but that's a completely different skill set, right? And so he helps them do that. But do you think we're going to see that for those lower level entry, more, you know, not entry level, but maybe, you know, post yeah. postgraduate work? I, I do think so. I think anybody that aspires to management needs coaching, whether it's internal coaching or external coaching. I think you're going to see more concentration on teaching people to have critical or, or, conversations that are, are candid and transparent. I think that's that's key. I think you're going to see a lot more training on how to give feedback um, in a way that is productive. Um, I think that's something that has uh, gone by the wayside and is something we'll see. Uh, another thing that I read a, a lot about on the what they call soft skills, and I wouldn't call it soft at all, it's critical thinking. Um, people not having the, uh, the training on how to critically think around a problem and determine their best course of action and working on just that process piece with folks. So I think we're going to see a lot more training, um, whether it's in-house or external. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you, but uh, I saw that article too, and it was not a surprise. I think um, we've opened up a whole new opportunity for the training industry that wasn't there before pandemic. And, and you mentioned giving feedback, but I think accepting feedback is a, uh, is a really hard and I think that's when you look at it used to be that our we used to say that um, we wouldn't ever say to somebody face to face the things that we say to them online, you know, right. and, and, and that we wouldn't respond, you know, that we, we but I I've got the sense that maybe it's two years of lockdown or maybe it's just the overwhelming culture, the uh, you know, online culture that 
more and more people are willing to say with, with you know, they're not, a, they're as uncontemplative about what they're saying and how it's being taken as they are online in person. I think that's true. But I think that in business feedback or coaching, the problem is generally the feedback is there. Here's what you didn't do correctly, but the how to fix it is missing. And I think that's the big training opportunity is to help people understand that you might just uh, online, you might just say, this is what that person did wrong, but you're not going to give them the constructive side. And I think that's the big piece that's missing that needs to be addressed. And you mentioned critical thinking, and there was a, another article that, you know, we've, we've talked about AI and we've talked about it in this podcast several times, and I'm going to have Tim Sackett on in a few weeks to talk about AI's impact on HR. But, you know, everybody is, is worried about what, you know, AI is going to replace our jobs and all of this stuff. And I keep saying, you're not going to lose your job to AI. You're going to lose your job to somebody who knows how to use AI. But the um, but there are certain skills, certain things, and a lot of them are these soft skills that AI can't replace. And you mentioned critical thinking, and that's at the top of the list, right? You know, AI can regurgitate what it's already seen, at least for now. But that ability to critically think, to solve problems, to come up with unique approaches, and I think that a lot of that boils down to willingness to invest the, the mental energy to do it. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a good point. But if you if you haven't worked that muscle, so to speak, you're probably not going to jump right into that kind of thought process. And I think if you've been alone for a couple of years on your computer and haven't really had to have the kind of ideations with other people that make you think critically, I think that that's going to be something that, that is going to need to be uh, practiced and honed again in the workforce. Yeah. And emotional intelligence, I think, is the other big one that's going to be really, really, you know, it's valuable today, but I think there's, there's more and more of a deficit of it, of the ability to empathize and understand someone else's position. Uh, and maybe everybody needs to go back. I assume there's somebody is still teaching Stephen Covey's Seven Habits and the whole idea of you know, working to to understand rather than be understood. He said it more eloquently. I don't remember the exact ones, but uh, I think that's a, a deficit that would go a long way to making a lot of workplaces a little better for everybody involved. I think you talk about emotional intelligence, and I think you're spot on. What I find really interesting is during the pandemic, the biggest soft skill that they were asking for on the corporate level was empathy. Okay, so we showed that we can deliver empathy uh, when necessary, but I think now you're seeing that kind of pull back. And so there's a, a disconnect between what we were preaching when nobody was nobody was going into the office and now what's happening in the office. So I think kind of uh, looking at those two and finding a happy medium is going to be where we have to get those skills back. And I think there are going to be people who just say, I'm never going to work in an office full time again. Yeah. And if they can, and they're willing to pay whatever cost comes with that, mm-hmm. good for them, right? right? I mean, you know, I, I, but, uh, and you know, I think a lot of employers who are insisting still that everybody come back in the office 100% uh, may be in a real challenging position to get some of the talent they want. Absolutely. Uh, because, you know, your most talented folks, if they happen, you know, the most talented folks in a market, if they tend to, if they decide individually that they want to stay and work remote or they want to work from Wyoming and, and whatever, uh, employers who don't find a way to accommodate that, I think you're going to lose the talent war or the, you know, uh, come right. on the short end of that. Absolutely. 
And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're in the North Texas area or you'd like to visit, I encourage you to attend the 2023 Second Chance Hiring Conference on July 13th. The conference has been organized by one of my favorite people, former Good Morning HR guest, Sherry Garcia, who operates Cornbread Hustle, a staffing agency for those who have put their criminal or drug issues in their past. It is also co-sponsored by Dallas HR and Fort Worth HR. This is a great chance to hear from employers who have had success hiring people with criminal backgrounds and from former offenders who have benefited from being given a second chance. I'll be there and you can register for the July 13th Second Chance Conference at DallasHR.com. If you're an HRCI or SHARM Certified Professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 102 and enter the keyword soft skills. That's all one word, S-O-F-T-S-K-I-L-L-S. And now back to my conversation with Diane Gallo. But one of the other things that, uh, that came up in all of this was, and, and you brought it up originally was if we're all going to be remote, what does that mean for young professionals when they're not in the office? So they're not getting those personal interactions with experienced, more senior employees or with their own leadership. Uh, they're not developing the network to build mentor relationships. I mean, it's no secret. I'm still a bull in a china shop, but when I was in my 20s and I first came to, you know, ended up working for you, one of the best things that ever happened to me was I, you know, I was definitely a Gen X bull in a china shop. And I mean, you pulled me, you know, you pulled those reins and kicked me in the ass a couple of times uh, to get me to do, you know, to see how I was not being a very effective. And if you're not remote, that's not going to happen as well. I think, you know, I think leaders are more quick to go straight to discipline rather than coaching in a remote environment. But if you recall in that environment where we were together and many environments that I've been in since, a lot of the real coaching goes on just sitting in your boss's office, having a chat and talking about the business in general and learning kind of how they view it. And I think that loss is something that's going to really make people, uh, less able to succeed long-term or succeed as quickly. I think that's a big issue. I also think that we lost a bit of that, and I'm going to put in a, a commercial for uh, for women, but uh, we lost a bit of that yeah. when we got so afraid to have people in offices alone with the opposite sex because they were afraid to have uh, someone report them for something they didn't do. But you, they lost, the informal learning, I think, really took a hit then, and it's taken a bigger hit now with the – everybody being virtual. And I think that goes with the soft skills, but also the technical skills and just, you know, understanding company culture, all that. You pick up so much of that through osmosis, right? you know, really just from being around people, being around your boss. I think remote work can feel really, really transactional. Okay. I got to get these things done today. Boom. Now I can go do whatever I want to do rather than turning around and going to the boss and saying, Hey, I, you know, I've got some bandwidth. What else can I help with? Uh, and, and I think 
you, you know, you're not going to get those mentor relationships. You're not going to get those opportunities to, to stretch if, unless you're that exceptional employee who in a remote environment is really still actively trying to seek those relationships. And it's hard though. I mean, the things you learn from sitting next to your peer and talking about what they're working on um, and what you're working on, that that's informal learning that you're not going to get because you're not sitting next to them and you're not going to dial them up just to find out what they're doing. Um, it's more likely you'll hear a, a snippet of it in a meeting, but you're not going to have the same kind of consciousness of how it's going that you would if you were sitting next to them. And I think that's, that's been a problem with um, remote work. And I see a lot on the, on the HR discussion groups online, uh, a lot of folks, HR folks, looking for remote jobs, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, remote only jobs with HR. And I'm sure it can be done if you're doing strictly transactional HR or if you're in a fully remote environment. But if the organization is very large at all, I think it'd be a real challenge to be an effective HR leader. I mean, maybe you can, you know, if you're processing payroll, you're doing transactional stuff. But I, I just don't know that, uh, you know, you could probably do accounting and a lot of other things that are, you know, tab A and slide A remote, but I'm not, are you seeing people really successful in, in HR that way? Yeah, I have to disagree with you. I think if you're an executive, okay. you have an obligation to get out there and be part of the business. And if the business is in a place that you're not, you have to make a conscious effort to be there. But right now things are so dispersed that traveling is going to be a necessity. If you're going to be a top leader in any company, you should expect that anyway. Um, right. You know, you're going to be on the road. You're going to meet and greet. Um, you're not going to just sit behind your computer. It's that mid-level professional that is kind of trying to be the executive that's I think loses on in that particular scenario. Yeah, and I think that was my point. I probably just didn't make it well, but I just. But do you think somebody can really be a, a solid HR generalist in an environment that's where there are actually, you know, a certain number of people on site uh, and, and certainly leadership on site. And and as a generalist, you're an HR journalist or, you know, that, that kind of business partner. Uh, do you think that works remote? I think it's more difficult re- remote. And I think whoever's managing that person should make sure they have FaceTime. I think once you have the relationships built in the first few months, it's easier to be remote. It's easier to be on the phone. It's easier to be on Zoom. What is a problem is when somebody doesn't develop the relationships and assumes that, that this is going to, uh, this kind of interaction is going to solidify a relationship. It's not. And so getting them out into the field is going to be critical. That's going to be a real challenge for a lot of folks, uh, and and people want to progress in their careers, right? And right. if you if you haven't built that internal network, you know, and we change jobs every three years, every five years, whatever the numbers are, but even your old network, you know, from the previous employers are so valuable because people people get jobs from job postings or Indeed and all that every day, but so many of the the best jobs that I see people get are from their own network. Absolutely. The job, you know, may or may not have ever been posted. And mm-hmm. so when somebody reaches out and says, hey, uh, we've got this role coming open. Would you would you like to talk about it? If you haven't built that network and you don't have those strong relationships in your current organization, uh, you know, it's like us. My best client, the best thing that can happen to me is one of my clients leaves, you know, one of my contacts at an employer leaves and goes and gets a new job because I'm going to pick up that client, you know, and I love it. But the same goes for, you know, peer to peer uh, or peer to leadership. You know, they've got to follow, you know, you've got to build that network. And I think it's going to be really hard. And then there was the 
the New York Fed's uh, working paper that said that, you know, the study they did was that seasoned professionals tended to be more productive in the remote environment, but that the younger professionals were uh, less likely to get feedback. And that was especially tough uh, on younger female uh, professionals. They were they were getting less and less feedback than their male younger peers. Uh, and I think I can see that because it kind of goes back to that same being in the office alone with a female. Uh, and I think there is something that feels, and I've got a mostly female staff, but I can see where that would feel voyeuristic to a, especially a certain age or uh, somebody who's not a certain a kind of professional who's not online, heavy, heavily online and isn't as comfortable online uh, and you're online with a, you know, a young female colleague. I can see what, you know, they need to get over it because it's their job to be leaders and to, to deal with it. But um, I think that that study was interesting because it goes right to that issue that those younger folks are losing out on those opportunities. Yeah. I, I read that also. And I, I, what I thought was interesting is that senior professionals are going to be productive anywhere and in, you know, in the office, out of the office, whatever, because it's always been a little more fluid for them. But I think those that are coming in are then don't have the guidance and know what to do to pick up more to do, like you mentioned earlier, to learn, to take special projects on, et cetera. There will be a contingent that does. Um, my worry is that contingent will not be terribly diverse. It'll look like the boss. It will yeah. have the boss's ideas um, only. And you're going to lose a lot of that, um, the value of diversity uh, in in projects and thought, et cetera. So I think that's another piece to consider in this puzzle is that we're probably going to assign those projects to the people that think like us rather than those that don't. Yeah. I think it's easier to, for your implicit biases to, you know, just to fall into an, a natural groove. And uh, if you don't, I mean, when you're not working with somebody directly on, you know, in person regularly, You've got to be a lot more intentional as a leader, I think, to develop empathy, to understand, you know, there's a lot, there's, I can tell you for sure, there's a lot, I knew a lot more about my employees who were with me than in 2019, who were in the office with me every day, than the ones who I've hired subsequent to the pandemic, because we just don't chit chat. And, you know, you're not going to jump on Zoom and just chit chat with somebody. Uh, and so, um so you've got to be really intentional in those to have in that, in, you know, professional interactions, but making sure that, that, you know, you've got an open Zoom policy, basically, where they can reach out to you as well and they feel comfortable doing that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think um, some things I've read have said that you should start your meetings with some personal fact or something that kind of uh, people can get excited about. Like I went to the ball game this weekend or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, it's right. kind of forced. Uh, I have a friend that used to call it FFF forced family fun, but the <laughs> bottom line is that, that those kinds of things at least give people commonality, um, right. you know, and that helps them get to know each other. And if you don't have the social aspect of work, then that's an important thing. And I see a lot of those, you know, we do, we start all, all ours with a segue, you know, just your, uh, your one professional top hit from the last uh, week and your mm -hmm. one personal, if you want to share it. Mm -hmm. uh, and everybody on you know, my senior team always shares one of each. Um, but I see, I see a lot of uh, issues where organizations are 
trying to be too clever for their own good and have yeah. these these icebreakers. Mm-hmm. You know, if yeah, if mm-hmm. you could be uh, you know, uh, if you could be an animal, what would it be? Okay, you're extroverts like me. You know, it's a peacock, of course. I mean, that's a, you know, that's what I want to be. But the but for for you know, a lot of employees. That's very forced, and that's mm-hmm. going to make them very uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think a leader needs to be really pay attention to those kind of things. And and you got to figure it out. It's going to be different for every work group, probably, and different team dynamics. But being, I think, being intentional, and and but that goes back to the biggest mistake we make: we don't train mm-hmm. our managers to do this stuff. And yeah, now we've yeah. got a whole new set of skills. Yeah. I think that goes back to the earlier conversation about the training uh, economy going to boom. So mm-hmm. even yeah. further, yeah. And, uh, but I think without the, the, the mentorship, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna really hurt because at some point these boomers are going to retire and then us Gen Xers, I mean, we were all lazy to start with, as I recall. So, you know, we're not going to work till we're in our seventies. And so, um, we're going to, I can see where there's going to be a real loss of maybe institutional knowledge that just gets handed down just because people just happen to know things, but also that it's going to be harder to, to maintain culture unless you're intentional about it. I think we're intentional about it. Uh, my senior team does a really good job of connecting with everybody and I do my best to stay in with them. Uh, but I think a lot of organizations that are just running their businesses like they used to run them, mm-hmm. but we're just all remote. I think that's going to be a challenge. It's not going to work. Yeah. Long term, that's going to be a problem. Well, um, one last thing, and it's a completely different direction, but I, I, this one jumped out and uh, it's kind of in my backyard, but according to a resume builder uh, survey, seven in 10 hiring managers admit to spying, which mm-hmm. is overstating it, I think, but on social media to get answers to illegal interview questions. I, for year, I, I, I had a consulting client Gosh, well before Facebook, I mean, it was the MySpace days probably, who, who called me and said, I've, I've got a problem. The, uh, during a, we had a new employee, female, who in our first staff meeting with, her whole, with the whole team, the hiring manager started rattling off some personal facts about her that he found online. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I mean, and this is in the odds. This was well before Facebook. And uh, he thought he was being helpful and clever to make her feel comfortable. And she got up, cried, laughed, and quit. Uh, and so, and they brought me in and that was my first social media policy before we called it social media. And, mm-hmm. and I've, I've, I've advised clients for years not to do social media that way, at least. And, and to have somebody who's, a, you know, between the high, you know, who's outside of the hiring decision. You know, you don't, I don't think you want the recruiter doing it. You don't want to, certainly don't want the hiring manager doing it. Somebody who's just looking for specific, you know, who's trained and who's looking for specific kinds of red flags and, you know, online coercive or threatening behavior, you know, things, things that may be anti-competitive, things like, you know, uh, things that may affect the the business's operations. What are you telling your consulting clients and what were y'all doing in your previous things as, as, as the social media stuff's blown up over the last 20 years? If you use social media, use it as a data point. It's one data point of many. It's not a make or break hiring decision making tool. And I think, uh, you know, it bothers me to think that somebody's checking out my Facebook to see how old I am or, um, or my LinkedIn to, you know, see something about me that may be different than what I'm presenting. But I think the bottom line is you can get a, a sense of a person from their, their presence, their internet presence, 
beyond social media is going to tell you a lot about them. You can find out if they own a home, you can find out if they live at home, or you can find out if they, you know, were ever bankrupt. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff out there if you want to look at it, but they're just data points and they're small data points in a majority of things that you're looking at. So I think if you keep it in its place, it's fine. And sometimes what it'll tell you too is when people are more aligned with your values, your company values or not. And that that's, those things are helpful um, from a cultural standpoint. You'll see who might be a culture builder, who might be somebody who's not going to be as enthused about your culture. But the bottom line is they're just single points and you have to remember them that way. And if you don't, if you use them as a determinant factor, I think you're discriminating inherently. Yeah. And I mean, you've got Title VII issues right on, mm-hmm. off the bat. And if you're hiring manager or somebody in a hiring decision is sitting down and look at this, as soon as I pull up somebody's Facebook, I see, you know, just from photos of nothing else, age, race, mm-hmm. you know, sex, national origin, uh, right. often religion, all mm-hmm. those protected classes. And how do you say, oh, those, di- those, how do you demonstrate those weren't things that made it, uh, you know, that weren't relative, relevant, you know, that we didn't consider those things? Well, I mean, there's a reason we don't ask those questions on the employment right, application. Right, right. You is, have to make sure that the rest of the data you have is compelling. One way or another, whether to hire or not to hire. So essentially, that's just what I would call augmented data um, points that you're adding to what you're looking at. But you have to have enough to basically to make your decision. If you use that to make your decision, you're, you're in a foolish place. I also would recommend highly that people keep things like their Facebook profile and their Instas. Um private. You can do that. You don't need to advertise right. to the whole world. Um, you know, if I found out that somebody had a side business that was consuming all their time and they were an applicant, that would change my 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 thoughts about them. I may ask them questions about that business and how much time right. does it take away from their work, especially working from home. So there's lots of things that have value to drive conversation, but are not necessarily illegal. But I think they're the, the propensity to possibly use some of those things uh, to make a decision is totally wrong. Yeah, we have a large client that uh, is a laboratory and they do testing for law enforcement uh, and one of their and and we do their social media screening. uh, And one of the things that they're looking for, because their employees could at any point have to testify in a, a criminal or civil matter. And the other side is immediately going to go to, you know, they're going to check out their experts and uh, look for ways to discredit them. Uh, And so if if this person is extremely pro-law enforcement or Mm -hmm. anti-law enforcement, Uh that's a big red flag. And we, you know, certainly we've got to think carefully before we, if we hire somebody who we can't, you know, can't safely put on, you know, to, to testify. So I think, you know, and you I always go back to Jared Loeffner, the 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 crazy guy who who shot uh, Representative Gabby Giffords uh, a number of years ago. But the first thing the media had, uh, you know, was his online manifesto and all his crazy social media posts. Uh, and had that been a workplace shooting, that employer. Yeah, there would be plaintiff lawyers asking, why didn't you know it? It was right, right here for everybody. Right. To know. Exactly. So employers, they just need to be careful. I, I like the idea of either having a, an organization that you trust or having somebody trained inside your organization who's out of the hiring decision. Yeah, I would to, agree. To do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, as always, Diane, uh, you're generous with your time, and I, I sure appreciate you uh, joining me again. It's always fun. And now I'm going to pop down to the pub for a Guinness and a steak and L pie. And uh, so 
I want to say thank you to our listeners for uh, listening to us now. We're on episode 102. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time, even when I'm on another continent. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.